and they had the big screen on us. And as soon as we pulled the beers out and cracked them, the big screen just panned to the audience. <laughs> Shut up and sit down. What's up, Wisconsin? From the Inside Wisconsin Studios, my name is Trevor Thomas, and on the road doing ESPN things, John Anderson. Uh, you're in Oregon? We, we have moved the Connecticut office, and we have relocated to the Hyatt Regency, or the Hyatt something, in Eugene, Oregon, for the NCAA Track and Field Championships. So um, I am uh, I am bi-coastal right now. I'm good to see that you're still our anchor there in the shadow of Lambeau Field, as you always like to remind people. So long as, long as we've got some roots in the ground there, I think the show will survive. We're doing just fine. Uh, thanks for noticing my new flannel, by the way. It's a little plaid. Uh, it's summertime. I, I, sure I heard you loud and clear. Listen, we should switch because you could come out here to Oregon in your flannel, man, and we got just fir tree <laughs> upon fir tree that you can come out here with your rip saw and just take care of business. I appreciate your flexibility in doing the show. Today on the show, we're talking to a familiar face, a Midwestern guy. I bet you he has a few flannels in his closet. TJ Lang. It's just, it's going to be fun to visit with him. I mean, here's a guy that grew up in the Midwest. To people in the East, Midwest is all one one place, right? It's everything between kind of Denver and Philadelphia. I think we can go Michigan. We can we can say the word. It's not going to hurt anybody. Uh Okay. Well, he ended up back at the Lions. We're not. Gonna, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about Wisconsin and Packers and Super Bowls or lack thereof, and just you know things that we can relate to here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, we had him for what eight years? I think he played here with the Packers, and I know he had his family here. And listen, this show is all about those things, right? The people, the stories, and the patriotism of America's Dairyland. And every once in a while, a little flannel shirt. T.J. Lang joins us today on Inside Wisconsin. First, before we go, do you know what TJ stands for? I do. Thomas John. It's like he it's like he's built for us. So he uh he saw the show before we scheduled to have him on, and he goes, What, Trevor Thomas, Thomas John? What are you trying to do to me? What do you what do you what are you taking? What's that's mine? <laughs> Could be, right? But you know, Thomas is well, your secret is safe with me when it comes to your real identity. He's- my middle name is Trevor <laughs> Thomas. My, my, it's a hell of a lot easier to spell than my real last name, T-H-O-M-A-S, and it just sounds better off the tongue. Let's get to TJ. Shut up and sit down. Packer, offensive lineman, and all-around Midwest guy, TJ Lane, joins us here on Inside Wisconsin. What's up, TJ? What's up, Trev? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Awesome. Good to see you. And you just met John Anderson from I ESPN. Did. I did meet you. John, nice to meet you as well, virtually. Yeah, uh, you know, I listen, it's, I don't have a number in a program, so I'm harder to figure out, but it's, you know, it doesn't list my height and weight and hometown, but it, it's nice to, to connect here. As I've watched for many years with, with uh, all the hometown team, and uh, it's good to have you. We'll ignore the Lions thing. I understand the pull of home, <laughs> that's fine, but we're going to dismiss that for this, for this particular hour, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm fine <laughs> with that. That's fine. All right, so I'm going to start, and this is obviously always going to be just about me. I'm stuck in a hotel room in Eugene, Oregon, watching track and field, which actually I love. But I maintain that everybody at some point in their life was on a track and field team. Were you? Did you run track in in high school? 
No, I didn't. Not a, I did you not. Didn't, nobody recruited you to throw the shot or the disc or any of that. No, John, actually, I was, I didn't hit the weight room until probably after my senior year. So I wasn't even, uh, I, I got to tell you, the football team barely wanted me when I was a junior. So <laughs> I was a late bloomer, what, what people like to say. I love it. So, TJ, that's great, man. Like, that's exactly why all of Wisconsin can relate to TJ Lang. You're a Midwestern guy. You grew up just outside of Detroit, and then you get drafted by the Packers. So talk us through that. What was that like growing up a Lions fan, and then all of a sudden, boom, you land here in Green Bay. But obviously, you get Wisconsin. You get the Midwest. You just get us. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I was thrilled, you know, when, when Green Bay called on, on draft day. Um, I didn't go to the combine, so I had to take, I think it was 10 or 12 pre-draft visits. And, uh, you know, I remember right after, I think Green Bay might have been one of the last ones. And I remember calling my agent. I told him, I said, just please do whatever you can. I, I want to go to Green Bay. <laughs> it just seems like a place that, that I would fit in. Uh, reminds me a lot of Northern Michigan, where I spent a lot of time as a kid, uh, just great people, blue collar town. Um, so I was ecstatic. But yeah, I mean, growing up, I wasn't really necessarily a huge Lions fan, you know, hate to admit it. I, I grew up more of a college football fan, uh, wearing the maize and blue and, and cheering for, uh, you know, the national championship team and, and Charles Woodson back when he was a stud in, in college. And uh, um, that's really when I fell in love with football, though, you know, and not to say that I wasn't a huge NFL fan because I was. Um, and when, it, when time came, when I, you know, I didn't really know probably till halfway through my senior year of college that I was going to have a chance in the NFL. And when it did, I just kind of took it. Uh, I, was, I remember just being so grateful because I was going to get into criminal justice and maybe be a cop. And I had a bunch of other people in my family, aunts and uncles that who, who were in the police force. And, uh, you know, my coaches told me, hey, you got a chance to go. I said, wow, this is great. And I mean, it was just a blessing, you know, and, and a couple nights before the draft weekend in 2009, I remember my mom, who's like a very spiritual lady, just she called me one day, she said, I had a dream. Uh, you're going to end up in Green Bay. I just have a feeling. I said, mom, that would be best case scenario. I'd absolutely love to be in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And to be able to live there for eight years, uh, raise a family, have two children while I while I lived in Green Bay, uh, came in as a 21-year-old kid, left as a 29-year-old adult. I mean, those are those are eight of the best years of my life. And uh, I'm just so thankful and grateful I got the opportunity to play there. The difference um, in living in a Lions community and a Packers community, um, those don't seem to be equal. No, they aren't. And being in, in Green Bay – um, especially right around the time that I got there in 2009, that was really the first year of success, you know, under the Mike McCarthy, well, not the Mike McCarthy, but under the Aaron Rodgers uh, mm -hmm. takeover. The year before, I think they were, uh, Trevor could tell me, 08, maybe 6 and 10, maybe 5 and 11 team. Um, we got there in 09. They added some pieces to the puzzle, you know, first year in the playoffs. Second year, obviously, won the Super Bowl. Made the playoffs every single year, though. And the expectation was, I think, John, the biggest difference. Um, we knew in Green Bay, if we didn't win the Super Bowl, it was a disappointing season. And we knew that every single year. And it didn't matter uh, what new players we brought in, what players left. Uh, the only thing that mattered was winning a Super Bowl. And when you go to Detroit, uh, obviously a team who had, has been struggling for a long time now, hasn't you know won a playoff game uh, 20 years, uh, 30 years. You know, it's been a long time for them. And the expectations was just – they were different. They were almost like – what we were trying to do in 2009 in Green Bay, where it was like, let's get to the playoffs and maybe make some noise. That was the expectation in Detroit. We were never able to do it, but um, 
that was something that kind of uh, drove me to want to play for the Lions because I had the chance, you know, I, I had the pleasure of playing in Green Bay for these great teams and great players and being in the playoffs every single year. We only won one Super Bowl, which um, in my mind is a tragedy, but <laughs> going to Detroit, I, I, I like the challenge of going to a team and trying to be a part of something um, that's going to turn a franchise around. And we didn't get, we, you know, we, I only played two years there. We didn't get to do it, but uh, the fans are very relatable. I mean, in Detroit and in Green Bay, it is football, you know, 24-7. And in Detroit, you obviously have three other major sports, but it is a football-driven city. And they want to see a winning team. <laughs> they would sell their children to see a winning team and to see a Super Bowl here in Detroit. And uh, same, in, same in Green Bay. The fans are just uh, two, two of the most passionate fan bases in, in the whole league. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun playing for both teams. But you did get to grow up watching Barry Sanders. And that's – who, by the way, the Packers passed on. Had a chance. We took Tony Mandrich out of Michigan State, right? But growing up watching Barry Sanders, and they, that couldn't have been terrible. No, it wasn't. But it was terrible watching Barry Sanders and then never getting really rewarded for it, right? I mean, I think in two thousand or not, I think in ninety one they made it to NFC Championship game and end up losing. But yeah, um, just to watch, it, it seemed like there was so many. I guess like wasted seasons watching Barry, but it was awesome, man. I mean, that really was mid nineties. I'd say was when I probably started to really fall in love with foot with football as an eight, nine year old kid. And uh, I had it on two folds. I mean, getting to watch two of the greatest athletes of all time in Charles Woodson play at Michigan and Barry Sanders play in Detroit. I mean, as a kid watching those two players, how can you not <laughs> how can you not fall in love with the game of football when you're that, when they're when they're that close to home? So yeah, that was definitely a pleasure watching him. So I think we were about six minutes into this interview before the name got dropped. Let's go there, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, TJ, you've been making the circuit because you made a few headlines here and you talked about this. You know, Aaron, uh, and. As I was kind of getting ready for today's show, you also know what this whole contract and negotiating and what it's all about. You and Josh Sitton kind of went through this at the end of your Packer career. Josh kind of got, you know, cut, and then you had your whole contract thing. But mm -hmm. maybe this is just the easiest way to put it. What the hell is going on? Well, that's a million-dollar question, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you. I mean, and it's not like, you know, the last couple months – you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that, that I played with uh, for a long time. We played with Aaron Rodgers, and I talked to a lot of guys that are still there playing. And, I mean, the consensus is I don't think anybody knows what the hell is going to happen. And I think that's the uncomfortable part of this whole scenario because usually when there's a holdout of some sort, it's usually contract-related. Hey, let's just give him more money and he'll show up. And uh, all signs point to that not being the case. And. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if, you know, they have to guarantee him, you know, four more years, the rest of Jordan Love's contract, whatever it is, to come back and play. Um, I, I really don't know. And I've been back and forth on this thing uh, probably since February about what was going to happen. And I just don't know. And as a player, it's so difficult for those guys in the locker room because uh, there's obviously a lot of guys who've been there for a long time, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, who are, are very good friends of Aaron Rodgers. And they've said in recent weeks, uh, you know, hey, we support our guy, we support our quarterback. And usually that's the best way to, you know, kind of take a uh, buddy stance is just let him handle his business and we'll try to stay out of it. And whichever way we go, hey, we're playing football. But um, 
there's a lot of unknowns, man. And I think that's – if I was in that locker room, that would be the toughest part because the season's right around the corner. I mean, you're starting training camp in a month and a half. Uh, then after that, you're rolling right into preseason games, and boom, you're into week one like that. So for those guys in those locker room, if they don't know which direction – the organization is going to go or which direction Aaron Rodgers is going to go, um, that can lead to some trouble. And I hope that doesn't happen. I, I, I love Aaron Rodgers. He's a good friend of mine. Um, I think for his legacy, something that he's always wanted, uh, he, he, I think he, wa- he needs to win another Super Bowl to kind of cement himself as one of the best of all time. And it's like I said earlier in this <laughs> show, it's tragic that he's only won one, one Super Bowl ring with how much talent he has and how much talent – has been around him. So I, I hope the thing, I, I'm still optimistic. I, I still think there's a lot of time, even if he rolls up, you know, week three at training camp and says, okay, let's go. Like he's going to be their starter. You know, he'll come in ready to go. He'll come in and, and command the, the offense and he'll definitely give a big adrenaline shot to a whole lot of guys yeah. in that team. But yeah. I'm optimistic. I, I still think there is a way for both sides to kind of work through, work through some differences. And, and if you're in Rogers at the end of the day, if you say, Hey, I, my goal is to win another Super Bowl. Well, you're not going to get a better chance to win a Super Bowl than coming back to the Green Bay Packers with the roster they have. In your position, you watch the draft. They draft two. They draft two offensive linemen every year. Mm-hmm. You can never have enough, and you can move them around. So I get it. But you had to get used to it at some point, right? Like every guy, every draft, you're like, all right, well, that guy might be able to take my job. Um, along that, I guess, I guess if you're if you're you know you're Pro Bowl, it's not quite like that. But you know what it is to have new guys come through and cycle through all the time. How do you handle that when you go through and go, okay, here's Here's new dudes because eventually they're going to be younger and they're going to be cheaper. And that becomes a business factor. Yeah. And I think really when I was a young player, I really got emotionally distraught during the draft. I mean, I had bad anxiety, stressed out. My first two years, I was a role player. I was the sixth guy in the offensive line. I started, you know, maybe four or five games, played some spot duties for some injuries. And 2000, going into 2010, I thought, okay, uh, you know, Mark Tauscher's gone. Now there's a spot at right tackle. Now it's my chance, you know, to go and improve myself. First round pick, Brian Balaga, offensive tackle. So I'm saying, well, I hope they're not giving up on me, right? And then going into 2011, okay, we got a spot open at guard. Darren College just left Arizona in free agency. First round, they picked Derek Sherrod, offensive lineman. <laughs> so as a young player, you're sitting there like, wow, you know. And and I, I also think it's a good thing because as the more I played, the more I realized – the better players that come in and challenge you for your spot, like the competition, I mean, just brings out the best of everybody. And by the time I got to probably year four, year five, you know, when I had been starting for three or four years and, and knew that, you know, I was a solid player, I could, I, I didn't care less who they drafted. I really didn't. You know, I, I thought, okay, this guy can come in and maybe help out if there's an injury or two, or, you know, if this guy leaves, whatever. But, you know, once you have that confidence that you're a good player and you're a Pro Bowl type player, I don't think it really worries you who comes and who goes. And with Aaron Rodgers, look, I mean, is it like a two or three time MVP? I mean, he's one of the best to ever play the game. So I don't think the Jordan Love pick to him was necessarily threatening for his position. I just thought in my mind, and I'm not speaking for him, I'm thinking, well, you know, you're one game away from winning the Super Bowl and they just drafted my backup quarterback who's going to be the starter in three or four years. Why not go get some somebody that's going to come be a huge part of this team right now, not in three or four years? And I think that was kind of some sort of build up throughout really. I mean, my last couple of years there, 14, 15, 16, John, where we had a really good team and we'd have a couple injuries and we're all in the locker room kind of chattering. Who's, you know, who's a free agent out there? Who can we go trade for? Who's unhappy? And instead of really going to get – 
people and get pieces and trading maybe a first or second round pick to go get a star player. Well, let's just move this guy to this position, this guy to this position. And, and I think that kind of builds up after time. And I think if you're in Rodgers, I think – well, I don't think. I mean, obviously, he kind of hit his breaking point with that. And, and, and it's not only the guys that they are bringing in, but it's also the guys that they've let go throughout the years that have been uh, very, very key players and great leaders on that team um, where they've been close. And you see uh, Jordy Nelson leave, Randall Cobb leave, uh, NFC Championship game, then Brian Balaga leaves this year, NFC Championship game again. Oh, we're going to let Corey Lindsley leave. I think that all of, you combine all of that, I think it, it ultimately just hit a breaking point for him. And quick, just to make the point so that we know we're not all naive, you can be you can be the sixth guy in the offensive line and play some. Uh, it's the quarterback's the only place where we only got one of them, right? Maybe kicker, but other than that, right? We can find we can carry a lot of defensive backs, we can carry a lot of linebackers, and all the only position though that only there's only one dude is quarterback, and so it right. does make it a different situation. Yes, yeah, it does. I mean, you're the so, guy. <laughs> yeah, you're the guy. <laughs> Those guys. Those guys, some of them have big egos, and when they bring in somebody to challenge them, you know, I think it's not only Aaron Rodgers, but you've seen it pretty much every year in the league. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of those guys take it personal, and I think Aaron Rodgers took it personal last year. He goes out and throws for 45 whatever <laughs> touchdowns it was and wins the MVP. Yeah. So, obviously, if Green Bay was trying to ignite a flame, you know, under his ass, I don't know if that was their intent, but they obviously did, not only on the field, but – also with some off-season issues as well. Yeah, I was going to say, it worked for a minute. <laughs> we had a great season, and now it's a shit show. Um, Tage, you were here eight years. <laughs> you, uh, you get Wisconsin, and there was a point in your career where I think the entire state embraced T.J. Lang for him, him, his personality. You're a natural at this stuff on camera and behind the mic. But there was this time when uh, it was, I believe – after this thing called the fail Mary where <laughs> TJ Lang took to Twitter and was like, you know what? F it NFL, find me, get the real refs back. And in the, the newness of Twitter that went about as viral as a tweet could go. Uh, and Wisconsin was like, Hey, uh, that's how we talk. That's what we think. <laughs> that was great. Um, and so what was it TJ about Wisconsin that really, you know, I don't know, you get us and we get you. Uh, you know what? I, I think it's honestly just being a Midwestern guy. I mean, everywhere I go in the Midwest, you find uh, the tendencies that people are pretty much the same. You know, there's a lot of really blue collar towns and hardworking people and guys just want to go do their job, take care of the family, wake up, watch their football games on Sunday. You know, that's just kind of how I grew up. And and being in a town like Green Bay, like I said, reminded me a lot of, uh, of a lot of Michigan cities that I spent time in as a kid. Going back to that 2012 game in Seattle, I mean, looking back on it now, uh, you know, I was a young kid. You know, I was 20, probably three at the time. I had just signed a new four-year extension, so I kind of felt a little invincible that, like, what are they going to do, cut me? I just signed a four-year contract, you know. Um, but, but at the same time, we're all sitting on the bus after that game, and we're watching the replays, and we're looking at our phones, and everybody's, oh, did you see this? Did you see this? And Jeff Saturday was on the team, and he was – uh, pretty high up in the players' association at the the players' union at the time, and uh, you know there was a bunch of us that just started sending stuff out, just rapid fire because we were upset, right? And and football is such a hard game. Uh, you spend so much time just trying to get everything right, and you only have one chance per week to go out there and, and get it right. And one and usually at the end of the season, well, when you're sitting there at you know ten and six in a wild card spot or eleven and five, whatever it is, usually you look back at that one game and say, you know. 
one more play, and boom, we're a 12 win team, 13 win team with a one seed. We got home field advantage. And that all, that all just kind of boils up post game, right? Um, so I don't know if I maybe at the time I was pretty new to Twitter. Maybe I would have held back on the f bombs a little bit, but I don't. I don't regret. I don't regret kind of. And and I was kind of the spokesman for everybody that was on the bus at the time. Everybody wanted to do it, and I'm like, you know what, dude, I'm gonna do it. Like like go, let's go. And then I just started ripping them off and. I got a earful from, you know, from the coaches and management. But at the same time, I think everybody knew I was right. And Jeff Saturday had our backs because there was a couple other guys that sent some tweets out, too. And he's like, I'm going to call the union and I'm going to tell them, like, these, you, I don't want any of these guys fine because you guys know it was horseshit, too. And, you know, so <laughs> nothing ended up coming to the whole thing. Thank God. But, yeah, I think I that, that. I, I, I would agree with you. I think that was really the first time where, uh, you know, as, as a player, I felt like, Okay, you know, I've got a little voice in Green Bay and I've got some people that are, you know, starting to become fans a little bit. And I don't want to do that after every game, but you know, I, I feel like that during that moment, um, it was a, an appropriate response. So that little escapade didn't cost you anything. No, no it role, didn't. No fine, no nothing. Nothing. And I don't know how it didn't, John. I think I think everybody knew how bad of a mess up it was from the NFL that they just kind of swept everything under the rug. Yeah. And actually the next week we got the regular referees back. So I, I take a small piece of credit towards that as well. Yeah. Cause in 2021, that's in 2021, that's a five figure, five figure payout. Yeah, that is. You can't do it this day and age. I mean, with Twitter back in the day, 2012 was a little bit different. I think we right. all know that <laughs> today. Young kids, players do not try to challenge your bosses. The NFL do not try to ch challenge any giants because like you said, they will definitely make you pay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll take a break with the the, uh, the great words of Herman Edwards. Don't press send. <laughs> More with TJ Lang, former Packer offensive lineman and all-around Midwestern guy. In just a minute, we are inside Wisconsin. Helpful critiques, ideas, great stories, people we should know, the great bar in your town, the fish fry you want to know, the fish boil, anything that you want to reach out to us with, we are happy, we are here, you can be the inputters, we're here to listen. Shut up and sit down. So Trevor, our, our man TJ, he's got a Super Bowl ring. Um, there have been some tough losses in his career, but let's face it, these guys always get another, nobody hurts like the fan hurts. At least that's what we like to convince ourselves, yeah. right? That, that, you know, the big guys don't cry. It really hurts us close to home. So my guess is, right, the Super Bowl, that's right up there at the top of your list. Great Packer memories. Yeah. Um, and I want people to know that this is your idea. I'm not the masochist here, but you want to talk about painful parts of being a Packer fan. Well, the the things that hurt you. Give me, the, give me the five things that still every once in a while uh, that, are, that, are, that are tough to address, tough to – I got to have a, a, a Kleenex when I talk about these things. I don't want to have a pity party. I'm just saying there, there have been some moments in Packer history. And listen, I understand that the okay. 70s weren't great. Okay. Like, I know you're going to go there. I'm, but that's fine. I do not understand, actually. Here are my <laughs> top five worst memories as a Packer fan. I just thought it was interesting. Here's number five for me. November 1st, 2009, Brett Favre came back to Lambeau Field in a Vikings jersey. And I lost my voice for three days. I booed him that hard. I was so over all of that. Uh, and then he beat us. And so that well, sucked. So let me just tell you this. I'm sitting in Connecticut. I'm wondering, wonder what the thing's going to be when he runs out there. What are they going to do? And people say, do you have a reaction? I said, I really don't. I don't care one way or another. I'll wait and see. And he came out and he got booed. And I went, that was the wrong thing to do. It, hit me it didn't hit me till then. It was the wrong thing to do. The wrong thing to do is boo him in a Vikings jersey? Yep. Wrong thing to do. 
moving on. We'll fight about that a different day. Here's my fourth Super Bowl 32. I, I was young. Uh, we right. just won 31. It was great. Super Bowl 32. It could have been really, really magical. And John Elway was out of his mind. I believe he won two straight, right? And then retired. So that's Here's my uh, John Elway lost. impression. John Elway impression. Okay. Oh, the, the helicopter that he did yeah, into the end zone. Go. Memorable. Uh, number three for me. The catch number two. You remember this, John? 1999 NFC wildcard game. We were eight seconds away from victory, and Terrell Owens somehow held on to this incredible 49ers catch in the end zone from Steve Young. There's just been a few of these things over the years where I remember where I was. I was, again, younger when that happened in 98. I was sophomore in high school, I think, maybe a junior. Uh, it was unbelievable. It just hurt. It was so sweet. Colleague Steve Young. Yeah. Right. And I was fortunate enough to um, be the presenter for Leroy Butler when he went into the Packers Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Steve about that play. And he said, Here's the thing about Leroy Butler. He was so annoying because he was not only good, but he had the nasty habit of making sure everybody else was in the right place. <laughs> right? right. And he said, You couldn't look him off. He was too smart. And he said, So on that play, to score on Torello and he goes, I never took my eyes off him. I looked at him the entire time. Wow. And then I threw to Torello Because wow. I knew if I looked the other way, he would sniff it out and he'd go. He goes, oh so gosh. I watched him on that play and I watched his eyes and I looked at him the whole way. That's incredible insight. Ah, he was good, man. Leroy Butler mm -hmm. was amazing. Wow. Okay. Here's number two for me. Brandon Bostic, NFC Championship game, 2015. Like that was tough, awful. Yeah. That was like that, that I left the house party. I was at completely silent. And that's pretty rare. Like that was yeah. awful. Really, really awful. And here's my number one. I was there. It was, it will be a moment. I never, ever forget. It's overtime in the NFC championship game, January 20th, 2008. It's Favre's last game as a Packer. I was sitting in the corner of the end zone and Favre literally threw that, and I saw the whole thing unfold in slow motion, literally right before my eyes. Uh, and then, maybe as a fan, as a lifelong Brett Favre fan, I was really hoping for this moment with Favre before he left the field. Right. It was so stupid cold. He threw his coat on, hoodie up, and he just ran off the field, and it was deflating as it gets as a Packer fan. I don't want to... What about you? What, are there a couple moments at least and that you can, and that's and so that's why you boot him, and so then you just then you boot him. I boot him because he showed up in purple and gold. Okay, right. would you not have booed him if you were there? Out of curiosity, uh, listen, my contract's almost up. If I go to Fox, you're going to boo me. No, I mean I, I like ESPN, but it's not like a pack. That was that's totally different. Just wonder. No, I guess no. I guess you're supposed to be a Packer forever. You can't. You can't. You know. Then they sent him to the Jets. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Did you boo him? Would you boo him if he was a Jet? No, I bought his Jets jersey. <laughs> so it's the Viking thing you have a problem with. Yes, it was awful, and we all knew that's where he wanted to end up anyway, and beat the Packers because he had it out for the organization. Sounds a little familiar right now. Uh, and yeah, I'm just saying it. Yeah, you gotta boo him when he came. But what? Okay. Yes, I booed him. Okay. Wrong thing to do, but that's fine for another Love day. You too. 
Hey, we, want to get back to, we want to get back to TJ Lang, so that's, that's fine. We'll leave it at Listen, I, mine are quick. I don't have five painful memories. I have, I have one really bad one, which people are going to hate me because I was, <laughs> it was the Markle miracle. And you're like, how is that painful? Well, right. Because as, at that age, I, there was nobody in the world I liked better than Walter Payton. He was my favorite player. I don't care that I was a Packer fan and sat at Lambeau Field. Walter Payton was my favorite player. And so I was all set. And they were going to win, and Walter Payton was going to be happy, and so I was going to be happy. And Alan Page comes through the line. He blocks Chester Markle's uh, kick, and I turn around because I'm in the kids' section at that time. I'm in row one in that end zone, even though Markle's running the other way. Uh, and I turn around to my buddies who are in the stands, right, and I'm like, look at that, yes. And they turn around, they're going like this. And so then I turn around just to see him go around the end zone and in, in for the score and to lose the game. So, yeah, I turned around and celebrated only so after it got blocked. I didn't see most of the play because I was trying to, you know, show up my flex for my sure. buddy. And they're all like, uh, turn around. But <laughs> Walter Payton did not win the game. So, anyway, you could probably boo me for that because I, I rooted for the Bears in Lambeau Field one time for Walter Payton. Uh, and then the other painful memory I have, which is, this is in comforts two through five, which is just my childhood. You know, if you take out 1970, I was a kindergartner, right, to 19... 19- 82, which was the last football season I was there in town for my senior year, graduating in 83. Um, man, there's not much in there. It, it was, <laughs> those were some hard times. And so you're talking about, oh my gosh, Brett Favre and, and, and Aaron Rodgers. Those are the two quarterbacks you knew, dude. <laughs> Fair. I understand. Right? I don't think you have any Randy Wright memories. Lynn Dickey gave us some shining moments. You know, David Whitehurst tried. But Jim Delgazo was a disaster, and John Hadle was a disaster, and Scott Hunter was a disaster. I know in 72 they won the division under Dan Devine, but it, it was just this parade of mediocrity that came through. And it was hard to be a Packer fan as a kid, which is why so many of my buddies and I kind of had an alternate team, right? That made it why I wanted to watch Walter Payton. The Bears weren't in any great shakes, but Walter Payton was great. Really good. I mean, he, they had one guy. The Packers yeah. had just, uh, I mean, just a little bit here and there. John Brockington was there for a couple, three or four years. You know, he was the first running back ever to gain a thousand yards his first three years in the league. So you had him for a while and then he fell off. Um, James Lofton, when he came through, was magical. You're like, we've never seen anybody that yeah. good and that graceful when I was a kid. Tough times. So to pick just five out of there would be to be cheating, you know, the other six or eight that would be equally painful and terrible. So, and if you are of my age, everyone knows what I'm talking about, which is understood. You and your generation are spoiled. Get off my lawn. Shut up and sit down. We are back inside Wisconsin. Trevor Thomas, John Anderson, TJ Lang. All right, TJ, you mentioned it a few times. It is a damn travesty that we have only had one Super Bowl victory in the last 12 years or whatever it is. I have, though, vivid memories of you getting your hands on that Lombardi trophy, and I don't think you let it go. I, I have this mental image of you walking onto the plane with the Lombardi trophy, and then when we were there, when you all got off the bus for the return to Titletown thing, you still had the damn thing in your hands. Did you just take it hostage, or what was all that about? I don't remember how the hell they even let me touch that thing because <laughs> – First of all, I was like, like we talked about, I was like the sixth offensive lineman. I didn't even play in the game outside of, uh, you know, extra points and field goals. Um, I think like our, all of our offensive linemen were together and that was just our time to have the trophy. You know, they were passing around from all the starters and stuff. We were all taking pictures with it. And right when we got back to the stadium, it was like, 
my turn to take a picture. And when I looked up, everybody was getting off the bus. So I carried it off the bus in front of all these fans out there and holding it up. And they're probably like, who the hell's this guy? <laughs> you know, I thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be the guy, or Greg Jennings or Jordy Nelson holder, Charles Woodson, you know, being the one that gets off the bus with a trophy. Um, I don't know how I got it. I think it was just the timing of the whole, like, okay, just pass it around the bus, everybody snapping pictures with it. And when it was my turn to hold the trophy, just so happened to be the time we had to get off the bus with it. But that was, I mean, that was really cool. And that whole, I, thinking back on it now, like, you, you, I don't realize how spoiled I was to be able to win a championship in my second year in the NFL. Right. And at the time, you know, you kind of took it for granted because you're like, okay, like I've only been here two years. We're already won. Like it's not that hard. And then by year four, five, six, seven, eight, you realize how hard it is to get back there and how hard it is to win that NFC championship game and get back. And those are some of the things that you reflect on when you're done playing kind of just boils down to I wish I would have appreciated, you know, that 2010 team and that championship a little bit more because you kind of took it for granted, especially as a young player to say, oh, you want to, yeah, we'll win it again. You know, no problem. We got Aaron Rodgers. We got these guys. We got, you know, studs everywhere. We'll get back. And we never did. And uh, I wish I would have appreciated a little bit more, but I don't know how I got my hands on that trophy. I don't know. I don't know why they ever gave it to me because I was a uh, at the time, I mean, I wasn't even really a, a role player on the team. I was just kind of a clumsy backup lineman that was kind of the hype guy. But that was that, that was definitely a great experience, man. That's fun. So I wasn't there. It was a cold day, right? Freezing. Yeah, yeah. Like 10 I degrees. My, I would have put my tongue on that thing so it would have stuck to it. Can't take it from me. <laughs> Here I am. I'm gonna, I don't know how you're going to take this thing away it from me. It was so cold, man. It was <laughs> cool, too. I've a lot about guys who – who win, and it's not even if it's, I guess maybe if you're 10 or 12 years in, you get the struggle. But appreciation becomes a thing for what you've accomplished. But but people don't understand that. I watch, and I, I, I'm a big golf guy as well, and I watch all the time, and they go, before that guy's career is over, he's going to win three or four majors. And I always think, no, he's not. Yeah. It's really hard to win one. And when you have so much success and you go to some of these championship games, it's always like, well, they should have won more. I'm not sure people in general realize – how hard it is to win one, any of them, whether it's how you get how, how the draw comes out with who you have to face, whether it's injuries. I mean, if you would explain to people that 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 almost uh, any kind of Super Bowl expectation is really a um, almost unrealistic expectation to go through every year. Well, I think the the one person that's kind of shaded everybody mind everybody's mind into thinking that it's easy as Tom Brady, right? I mean he's there every single year. Maybe that's why people American. Maybe that's why people think it's easy because Tom, okay, wherever Tom Brady goes, they're gonna go to the Super Bowl and probably win, right? Um but yeah as a player, I mean being with a guy just as if not more talented than Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and getting back to you know playing in three or four NFC championship games and getting back to him year after year, um everything just really has to happen perfect, you know, especially in the NFC championship games. And it's just so hard, man. And when you look at that 2014 game in Seattle, it was like everything's going right for us. It feels like, you know, we're up, I think at the 16, nothing or something like that. I want to say in the third quarter and uh, they fake the field goal for a touchdown and we're like, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, their offense can't move the ball. They're not going to do it again. Um, and then it boils down to, 
you know, two-point conversion, an onside kick that happens to bounce their way. And just like that, your season's over. And you're, it's, it's just you don't realize how well you have to play in those big games and how just, you know, almost near damn near perfect you have to be just to win those games. And getting back to it again in 2016, we're kind of limping into it a little bit. But, I mean, it felt like getting off the plane in Atlanta, we were down 21 points. That's just how good they were that year. And it's just it, – you almost have to just tip your cap just because what they just they, – it was just it was just their time to go to the Super Bowl, you know. And obviously they had a heartbreak, right, just like we did in the NFC Championship game a couple years before, being up 28-3 to in the, in the damn Super Bowl and not being able to win. That tells you how hard it is to win. If you let your foot off the gas for one second and the other team makes one play and they get that momentum, that can change everything. I mean, the biggest regrets that I had leaving the NFL was, you know, not not winning another ring. And the teams that we had to do it, we had the talent to do it. We just could not, uh, for whatever reason, you know, one or two plays in each, each game. And, and, you know, it's tough to win. So, but I think Tom Brady has spoiled a lot of fans into that thinking where it's easy, right? And it's, it's not easy, man. It's one of the hardest things to do. And like you said, John, it is almost unrealistic expectations to expect your team to go to the Super Bowl every year and win. Inside Wisconsin, TJ, is all about the people, the stories, and the statriotism of America's Dairyland. We're, we want to tell some of the stories that nobody knows about you or your time with the Packers. And so tell us a story about when you were a rookie and you had to go out for these O-line dinners here in Green Bay. Where'd you go? What's your favorite restaurant? And how much was that tab? You know, I love Green Bay. I don't want to bash Green Bay here at all. But the restaurant scene there uh, was not nearly as painful as it would have been living in a big city. I could say that. <laughs> going, to, going to Hinterland or Chives, I mean, you can get an excellent meal for like 30, 40 bucks a man. So that's, that was that was <laughs> I, I was very lucky to do that. They actually saved... My rookie, uh, my rookie dinner for the Pittsburgh week. We played Pittsburgh in 2009, and we went out, and that was my rookie meal. And it ran up to about, uh, I want to say, probably about 6K. And I think about 4K of that was wine, right, from yeah. like two or three of the guys that just ordered like $3,000 bottles of wine. It was incredible. And actually, funny story about that, my credit card <laughs> – like maxed out at like three thousand dollars, <laughs> so I had to have I had to have Darren College pay for the other half, and then I had to give him the rest of the money the week after that. But it was uh, living in Green Bay, man. It's I mean it's it's not like living in some of these big the big cities, Chicago, New York, L.A., where right. you can't go get a meal for under three hundred bucks. You know, I was I was lucky enough to be in a, a, a pretty pretty cheap uh, restaurant tour city. So were guys mindful, like, because I think that's all great, but it's the guys that, like, order four bottles of wine and take them home with them. Like, I don't feel like that should be within – I don't know what the unwritten rules of these things are, but we're, we're guys at least pretty cool about that part. They're like, we're just going to do what we do here in these next couple hours. Yeah, most of the guys were, except for um... – you know, Trev, I don't know how much you keep up with like Darren College and Jason Spitz and those guys. They have their own winery now and yeah. they're, you know, yeah. big out in California. Um, so they were like our wine connoisseurs. So that's when I say like $4,000 of the check was wine. It was those two assholes that put all that on me. And it was like <laughs> it was like two or three bottles of wine. It's not like everybody's getting hammered before the game, but right. you're looking at the check and you're like, there's no way. Like I saw what everybody ate. How is it six grand? And then you're like, oh, okay, you know. 3000 yep. for this bottle, 25 for this bottle. So you definitely get a couple guys that like to make you pay. But 
Um, it's kind of just one of those things that everybody had to go through, you know, and I was lucky enough that we only had one or two of those guys and not, you know, seven or eight of them because <laughs> then it, then you, you remember the next year when it was Brian Belaga's year, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm hammering you dude like <laughs> i'm like and you're a first rounder so it's not even gonna hurt as bad but i'm hammering your ass. <laughs> right. speaking of guys who are, are wine guys and, and vinters is our man charles woodson mm. you talked about what it was like to grow up watch it at what point did you get in the locker room with charles woodson and go like that's a teammate i gotta treat him like a teammate not like that's charles woodson oh my god that's the guy I watched at michigan that's got to be an amazing transformation that has to take place yeah, uh, John, it took me probably a year to get used to it. I'm not kidding. Like, and when I first came in and I'm looking at the locker rooms and, you know, you got all the offensive line over here, then you got all the defensive line. And then for some reason, the DBs were like right next to the offensive linemen. And I think I was two or three um, lockers down from Charles. Mm-hmm. And I remember just looking at the name tag. The first time I walked in, I looked at my locker and I'm like, holy shit. It's my locker. And then I stared at Charles's for probably 10 minutes. I'm not even kidding. And I was just like, oh, my God. And you're just you're just thinking of all these memories watching him play. And I had probably six or seven Charles Woodson posters on my wall in my bedroom as a kid and just plaques everywhere and just memorabilia. And I didn't I don't think I talked to Charles for probably the whole first season. I don't know if I ever said a word to him because it's just like you're in. It's almost like this bigger than life personality. And Charles getting to play with him for, um, you know, I think it was four years, maybe five years that I got to play with him. Um, you just realize like what an awesome person he is, an awesome teammate he is. And those are the type of guys when you're a young player, like y- you want to, you want to win for yourself. Yeah. But like, you almost want to win more for those guys just because you see how much work they put into this thing and how long they've been doing it for. And Charles was just like, I mean, it took I'm t- it took me a year before I was like I, I kind of mustered it up and I kind of felt like that little, you know, nine, ten year old kid watching him play big time football to kind of go up and be like, hello, Mr. Woodson. You know, could you sign something for me? <laughs> you forget that you're teammates and you're out there battling with each other on the same side. So that was uh, that was an amazing experience, man. And I had that with a couple guys. You know, Donald Driver was a guy I watched for a long time, too. And and being in the huddle with him when I was a rookie was just like. I mean, I almost I think I forgot the play because I'm looking around the huddle and I'm looking at all these guys that I grew up watching and just, uh, you know, inspired me. And it was just like, OK, dude, snap out of it, man. Like, you know, you're with these guys. So but but Charles, man, that was uh, I don't get starstruck much. Charles was definitely probably the biggest moment in my career, whether teammate wise or facing a guy in the field that I was literally in awe just in his presence. I mean, he just has that bigger than life personality. And, and for me, having a different perspective, watching him play really since he was an 18 year old kid, um, it was just uh, it was an unbelievable moment. And when I finally got the courage to talk to him, I mean, he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And I think he knew that I was kind of intimidated because I had done some interviews where I said, oh, it's Charles Woodson, you know, so I think he kind of knew that already. But he was just uh, an awesome teammate, man. John grew up in Green Bay, literally blocks away from Lambeau Field. I moved here. Uh, with Amanda in 2006, and I now work literally right next door to Lambeau Field. What is your most memorable Lambeau Field moment? Because that that place is just, I mean, it's a mecca, right, in all of sports, and you played there for eight years. Wow, that's a tough one. I mean, that's a lot of games, and oof. Um, most memorable for me probably would have been 
2014 season playing Dallas in the divisional round at home. Um, I mean, I just mean, because it was such an up and down game and back and forth and cold, freezing cold. And I just, it was, it was the ultimate for me personally, not for the team, but it was like the ultimate wave of emotions because I had a really, you know, I still to this day think it was a clean play, but I've had a really kind of, when you look back at it, probably dumb penalty that we would have been like third and one from like the 10 yard line down, you know, six points. I think, I don't remember the exact situation, but I had a dumb personal foul that backed us up. We had to kick a field goal and the only thing I'm sitting on the sideline and I was almost begging my teammates to forgive me because I'm like, I think I just, you know, robbed us of four points in a playoff game in a close playoff game. And uh, I think the very next possession, Julius Peppers knocked the ball out of DeMarco Murray's hand for a fumble and we go down and score. And then the whole Des Bryant thing happens. And then we get the ball and close out the game. Um, I just remember sitting in the locker room after the game, like almost in tears because I went from being so frightened that I was going to be the reason why we lost this playoff game to literally like walking around the locker room, hugging my teammates for like having my back and just going out there and finishing the game and not giving up and walking off that field after that game. I mean, it was just almost like a huge like sigh of relief because <laughs> I never wanted to be that guy that lost the game for us, but that was an unbelievable football game. What embodies Lambeau Field is a playoff game at Lambeau Field in January. I mean, you want to get true Lambeau Field and the true fans and and really experience the entire thing. I mean, that's what it was all about. That was probably my favorite game that we played there. We're going to convince people that you're a true offensive lineman because we all know you guys, uh, you're demented when it really comes down to it. Uh, we'll be back to wrap things up with TJ Lang right after this. Helpful critiques, ideas, great stories, people we should know, the great bar in your town, the fish fry that you want to know, the fish boil, anything that you want to reach out to us with, we are happy, we are here. You can be the inputters. We're here to listen. Shut up and sit down. We are back inside Wisconsin with former Packer offensive lineman TJ Lang. All right, TJ, it's segment three. It's rapid fire. Here's a quick few questions for me and then... You get pummeled by J.A. People are used to it by now. One of my favorite Lambo moments is when you and Josh Sitton pulled beers randomly out of your coats when you were welcomed back to Lambo and you shotgun beard on Lambo Field. Uh, tell us the behind-the-scenes story on that because that was totally planned. Yeah, so uh, it was definitely planned. Um, <laughs> we failed to mention it to like the you know supervisors who had us on the field, but – we said, you know what, man, like we, Josh and I played together for a long time and we felt like, you know, we still had the respect of Packers fans. We, we didn't want to just walk out there and give the old man wave and like, thanks for having us back. Like, dude, we got to go big, man. We got to do something out there. And I don't think anybody's ever chugged a beer on Lambeau Field before a football game before. So we wanted to be the first to do it. And we snuck the beers in and uh we took you know we kind of had it choreographed we walked out we kind of waved we looked at each other we gave a little fist bump or whatever it was and then boom and the funny part was i was looking at the big screen kind of out of the corner of my eye and they had the big screen on us and as soon as we pulled the beers out and cracked them the big screen just panned to the audience <laughs> but being in that end zone that we walked out of the tunnel I mean, the roars and the cheers were just absolutely incredible. We had goosebumps. It was so funny. And we got, I don't want to say in trouble, but as soon as we got off the field, it was like, 
where'd you get those from? Who gave you those beers? And we're like, I don't know, somebody in the tunnel, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but that was that was incredible, man. And that was so cool coming back as a former player and still being receptive like that, you know, even after playing in Detroit for a couple of years, still coming back with my best buddy, Josh, and, and being getting a chance to do that, man, that was, uh, you know, I still get goosebumps talking about it. All right, here's one more. I had to ask you where you got a beer. I'm in Wisconsin. What do you got? <laughs> I mean, I don't like pocket. What do you think? Right. <laughs> and right before that, right before that, they had us. Uh, they had us walking around. They had us walking around the parking lots. Uh, we were doing like tailgating with the fans, so we'd kind of come up and surprise the fans yeah. in here and there. Yeah, you take you know, and, and by the time we got in there, we probably had a. 0.15, 0.18 blood alcohol <laughs> level. So we were kind of feeling pretty good, invincible at the time. But <laughs> it was incredible, man. It was, uh, and and the fans loved it too. And the video of it was just absolutely, absolutely incredible. So you guys earlier were talking about how awesome Tom Brady is. Blah 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 blah. He's a villain. Tom Brady's a villain. And there's also another name that is a true villain from the T.J. Lang era of Packers football, and it is Indominus Sue. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he, did, uh, oh, man, it's you reflect back on the times when you played him, right? Um, obviously, you know he he was actually rivals with Josh Sitton for a while because Josh was right guard, I was left guard, so I never had to go near Sue. Thank God. But um, 2013 season, they switched Josh and I because they wanted Brian Belaga to move to left tackle. And they said it'll make it easier for him uh, to move Josh with them because they've just got the chemistry. It'll make it easy. So I was playing right guard, and obviously I'm like, okay, now I got to go against Sue. <laughs> All right, you know, deep breath. Okay, let's try to figure this guy out. But um, you always knew it was going to be a battle, you know. You did. And it was just such an intense kind of individual rivalry in between, you know, just the two teams kind of going at each other. And obviously that was uh, amplified by him stepping on Evan Dietrich Smith. And then, uh, you know, the last game of the season, uh, was it 14? I think it was 14 again where, you know, he stepped on Aaron Rodgers' calf. And um, that just kind of – it's it's just kind of one of those old school one-on-one -on -one rivalries, right? And I don't know if I saw the guy today if we'd necessarily hate each other. I mean, I don't have any hatred towards him outside of the game. Um, but playing a guy like that, you're like, okay, you know, like, let's get strapping on boys, like tighten those helmets up, put the mouth guard in. It's going to be a tough one today. And um, I'd always, and I always felt like a tough guy, a big dude, but even I used to kind of tell my center, whoever it was that you're like, you got my back, you know, you got my back. <laughs> you know, I, need, I need to count on you. I don't want this guy punching me in the face or something. You better give him a back, you know. And it was just kind of one of those rivalries. You never knew what he was going to do. He was a guy I could say this. I mean, I respect the hell out of his game. He's still playing at a high level. Obviously, won a Super Bowl last year with Tampa. Um, I respect his game, just the work that he puts into it, the type of player he is. I mean, he's, he knows he's the villain. He loves that role. And uh, it was a lot of fun going against him. But at the same time, it was uh, – it was very, very stressful. I will say he that. But we had he was he was a, he was a very good player, and I'm not going to tell you know when we we actually we had pretty good success against him. We had two jet or three jet. Two jet means you know the center slides left. Three jet center slides right. We had a Sue jet. So wherever Sue jet, so wherever Sue would line up, that was the jet. That's the way that the center is going to slide. So he was double teamed probably. 70 percent 70 80 percent of the time that we played him so i can't take the full credit for you know shutting him down every single game but 
he definitely had his moments. He definitely got me a couple times, but he was he's just one of those generational players, especially when he was in Detroit, uh, you know, that probably 11 through 14 season. I mean, he was he was one of the best in the league. Yeah. All right, here we go. We're going to make these quick. You don't these don't have to be long. I just want answers. First off, your wife's Laura Ford. Are you married to the Ford Fortune? No, unfortunately, I'm not. I found okay. the one girl in Detroit with last name Ford who's not related to uh, Henry Ford. <laughs> okay, uh, that's fine. That that takes out question two. Can I have a loan? Um, so we talked about, about guys you handled. Give me a guy that people maybe not know, but just gave you fits. Oh, um, Fairley from Detroit, Nick Fairley. He was a defensive tackle there for a few years, ended up having some health issues. But he would have been, I think when he was healthy, he was probably a top three defense, defensive tackle in the league. All right. You touched on this because you said you spent time there. Uh, Northern Michigan, uh, I don't know what to think of it. I don't know if it should be, you should keep it, if we should make it a state, if Wisconsin should try to annex it. Give me your thoughts on Northern Michigan. Yeah, it's Northern Michigan. It's going to stay Northern Michigan. You could take like maybe the northwest side of the UP, but everything right. across there, Marquette, I'd say across, yeah, that's, that's got to stay Michigan. All right, you want that. Uh, Pistons, uh, uh, we're getting rid of the Lions because of your profession. Uh, Pistons, Wings, or Tigers? Wings. Wings, every time. All right, and now this, uh, now this is really quick because uh, you mentioned a bunch of these guys, Sitton, Wells, uh, College, Clifton, Balaga, all these guys, Saturday. Give me, uh, give me in your offensive line group over the years, uh, who do I want to go have a beer with? You can include yourself, by the way. Oh, yeah. If I kill him myself, it's me. But okay. uh, a close, a close second, I'd say, is Josh Sitton. He's a good okay. If I If I get in a fight, who do I want? Me. Yeah. Or Breno, <laughs> Breno, uh, Breno Giacomini. He played there for a couple years, too. I, yeah, he's, he's a guy you definitely want to have your back as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, when we're on the road, who do I want to let pick the restaurant? Probably Corey Lindsley. He's just like a kind of stuffy, kind of stuck up, like, you know, pallety type guy. Yeah, it's probably him. Okay. Uh, who's the funniest? Dry humor, probably Brian Balaga. Um, everyday kind of normal person kind of mm -hmm. humor, I'd say Bakhtiari. Probably a tie between Bakhtiari and Sitton, I'd say. Who do I want to have? Uh, <laughs> who do I go to for algebra help? Corey Lindsley. Yeah, Brainiac. Nice. Uh, finally, who do which one of you guys do I want to coach my son's little league team? Me. You're the guy. Yeah. Great. I won the championship last year. I coached my son's team, John. I, I we won the championship last year, and actually last night, uh, proud dad moment. Excuse me. My son hit a walk off in the bottom of the sixth to win the game. So we are on to the semifinals, baby. That is fantastic. <laughs> the last one I have comes straight from your Twitter. Uh, why can't I just reheat pizza in a microwave? <laughs> you can if you want the lazy way out. But if okay. you want a nice, solid, reheated piece of pizza, and actually, you know what? I've heard some other recommendations as well. I hear a uh, cast iron skillet's also a way to go as well. Teach, man, it's been great catching up with you. I was going to mention the walk-off from JJ last night in the baseball <laughs> game. I saw it on Facebook. I, I was going to say, what's what's better, a Super Bowl victory or watching your son hit a walk-off home run in Little League? It was pretty awesome to see that, man. It was great catching up with you. You were gracious with your time. We are it was just great to have you, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Trev, it's been a long time. We were good friends. I was there, man. It's always good catching yeah. up with you. And, John, like we said earlier, okay. pleasure to talk with you as well, man. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time as well. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Shut up and sit down. Man, it was good to catch up with TJ Lane, John. Him and I were buddies when he was here. We met through a mutual friend and uh, – 
it was just it's just great to see Wisconsin through his eyes, knowing that he had the uniform on. Uh, it was great to catch up with him. Some fun stories. Yeah. I feel like he could be we he could we could have um, 2.0 with TJ Lang, right? Like just I to get so. a broader perspective on what he thinks of sports in the NFL, and he's a he follows the NHL playoffs like you wouldn't believe. And yeah, I think there's there's room for uh, for more TJ here in the future. Of this program. yeah, I think so too. So uh, there's a lot though that TJ talked about. I mean, from playing and offensive line dinners and being starstruck by Charles Woodson. Yeah, and I, you know I've been fortunate because uh, Charles Woodson ended up uh, as a colleague here. He worked at ESPN yeah. for many years. That's right. And uh, I also I got to help. I was here. I was there uh, hosting the induction ceremony in Pasadena when he went into the Rose Bowl <laughs> yeah. Hall of Fame. Cool. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Charles Woodson. And so I'm going to leave you because and and it just TJ brought this up his love for Charles Woodson. I thought, okay, I'm going to tell a little John Wisconsin here about Charles Woodson who, when he was in Oakland, he, he bought a plot of land in a vineyard, and he became a winemaker, What is, is what he was doing. So my sister, when Charles came to play, uh, my sister, who's fighting the good fight, she's over in Michigan, so she has to put up with all these <laughs> Lions fans constantly. Um, so she's fighting the good fight there in Grand Rapids. But there's no one my sister Leslie likes more than Charles would, all-time favorite Packer. So I know he's got this winery, and I thought, here's what I'm going to do for, for her birthday. I'm going to get her a bottle of Charles Woodson Cabernet or whatever nice. it was. And so I, I call the winery, and they're like, no, you have to write you know, Just get the reception. You can do this online. Okay, great. So on occasion, I will um, use the star power of ESPN and those four letters to, um, to help identify who I am, as opposed to just, you know, John.Anderson Gmail 48 or whatever it would be. And so I order this bottle of wine and then I, you know, email john.anderson at ESPN.com. I don't mind giving out the email because it's not that hard to figure out. So now the guy calls me, John Anderson, ESPN. Yeah, sports. Yeah. I said, well, here's my sister. She loves Charles. Would you like Charles to sign the bottle of wine? You know, that would be fantastic. Could you please yes, do, let's that? do that? So Charles signs the bottle of wine. I give it to my sister for Christmas and she's clutching it. She holds it and it now sits in her home and it's never opened can't open it well why not why not the bottle still has his name on it why he can't do it it's so, because so she it's like a mint baseball card you just you won't okay so she so you were she, she won't drink the bottle so i kind of i'm now getting i'm i'm bummed by this this is when he's still playing so now he works for us and i go find him and i said charles here's my sister and she's got this bottle of wine and so now i go get a lovely um very expensive wine goblet for red wines. It's a little bigger. And I bring it to Charles and Charles now autographs the, the class. Leslie drink the damn wine. <laughs> and so now the unused bottle of wine sits next to the unused glass <laughs> in her home, both signed by Charles Woodson. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, and she's, I don't know, drinking Boone's farm, strawberry Hill with a screw off tap. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, so that is my Charles Woodson story. He is a wonderful guy. The things he's done, um, you know, with the children's hospital in Michigan and everything else, uh, another Packer hall of famer and really revitalized his career here. And so responsible yeah. for that super bowl championship and uh, just uh, a kudos of a guy. But I thought there is my Charles Woodson story. That's um, amazing. And a wine and a goblet that sits unused in grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> That's a great story. And Charles Woodson is a bucket list guest for inside Wisconsin. We got to make that happen. That'd be great.
Johnny, thanks for your flexibility and for always just making time for Wisconsin. Whether you're in Connecticut or in Oregon, we love you here back home and uh, can't get enough of all the things that you bring to the people and the stories and the patriotism of America's Dairyland. I want to come do one sitting next to you one of these times. That'll that'll happen soon enough. All right, brother? We'd love to have it, buddy. Until next time. See everybody next time. Peace out, as you were, Wisconsin. Shut up and sit down.